0: to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Today we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke called How It All Began. There are lots of people who claim Jesus is a mascot for their cause, but they've imagined him on their own terms rather than taking him on his. This series looks at the earliest days of Jesus' public ministry to better understand the true heart of his life and message. Now Jesus made some remarkable claims that people at first struggled to accept. Today's passage looks at some of the evidence that he gave to persuade people of his claims. But there's an interesting parallel taking place right now as politicians gear up for the provincial election. As I've watched the leaders of the three main parties make their promises, it's been interesting to see how they've tried to convince people to trust them. In Stephen Del Duca's campaign video, he shares a personal story of grief at the death of his younger brother and how it taught him resiliency. He wants people to think he understands what they're going through. In her her video, Andrea Horwath talks about how her dad worked as an auto worker and her mom cleaned schools at night and how she learned from them that when something's broken, you roll up your sleeves and fix it. She wants people to think she's a hardworking fixer. In Doug Ford's latest video, a campaign song plays over a montage of him speaking with laborers and technicians. He's in a crowd shaking hands and giving hugs one minute, and then on the phone, closing an important deal the next. He wants us to think he's busy listening to people and getting the job done. Many of you will vote to give authority to one of these leaders based on your assessment of the evidence for their claims. But you do this in other areas of your life as well. You make decisions about the products you buy, the entertainment you consume, and the people you listen to based on the claims that they make and the evidence they give. When Jesus came announcing good news, nobody complained about the basic message. Nobody said, we want bad news instead. Stop giving us all this hope. What they questioned was whether Jesus had the authority to say the things that he did. Today, we're still asking the same question. How much authority will I give Jesus in my life? Enough authority to believe? Enough authority to be baptized? Enough authority to let him call the shots with my sexuality or even who I date? Enough authority to tell others about him? Even the question that we've all asked at some point during the pandemic, how important is it for us to gather with other believers for worship? Is at some level a question of how we assess Jesus' authority, Our lives. Now, while you'll be hearing politicians try to convince you of the basis of their claims over the next month, today's passage confronts us with the evidence that Jesus showed us that He's the Son of God and Savior of the world, and the one who deserves to be the ultimate authority in our lives. Think about where you're still struggling to give Jesus authority in your life as we read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. If you have a a Bible, turn there with me now. And if you don't have one, you can click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Luke 4, starting at verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teachings, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now that when the sun was sitting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him. And would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of God. Now, the first reason that Luke gives for you to give Jesus ultimate authority in your life is because he can disarm the evil that controls you. He has the power to free you from the spiritual forces that make you say and do things you regret. He can disarm the evil that controls you. In verse 31, Jesus goes to Capernaum, and and when he teaches in the synagogue there, people are spellbound. They've never heard anyone speak like this before. Verse 32 says they were astonished at his teaching, for he possessed authority. See, rabbis of the day typically quoted other rabbis. They'd be like, I've heard that this is what this means, and they say that this is how this applies. But Jesus would announce, I tell you. And he seemed to claim knowledge and authority unlike anything they'd been exposed to. That was both exciting and unsettling. It made them wonder who Jesus really was. In verse 33, there's a man in the synagogue who has an evil spirit. People tend to think of sin in terms of breaking rules. But someone has said it's more like choosing sides. When you give in to temptation, you're saying no to God's protecting influence and yes to the presence of power, presence and power of evil in your life. Once you've opened that door, evil often takes you places you don't want to go. You become desensitized to things that used to disgust you. You develop desires and cravings that are unnatural and unhelpful. And the more you open the door, the more at home sin becomes in your life. Eventually, it's like you've got a dangerous roommate and you don't know what he'll do next. That's what happened to the man in the synagogue. An evil spirit was able to control him at will. But the demon feels threatened in Jesus's presence. In verse 34, he's questioning Jesus' intentions. He asks, have you come to destroy us? Now, the voice could be representing multiple evil spirits, but some scholars believe that he's speaking on behalf of himself and the man that he's controlling. So often, Satan portrays Jesus' work in our lives as a threat. He convinces us that giving up some sin in our lives would ruin us but Jesus has had enough of his lies. He rebukes the spirit and says, be silent and come out of him. Watch what happens when Jesus does that. Verse 35 says, and when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. It's the evil spirit that throws the man down, but at Jesus' words, it comes out and the man is unharmed. Jesus has disarmed the evil that controlled him. Now, I've met a handful of people in my life that I suspected were being influenced by Satanic spirits. But whether you acknowledge that or not, each of us has felt the pull of evil in our lives. We've seen sin sin make us say and do things we didn't want to do. We've seen the power that evil can do when we invite it into our lives. And we've seen how stubborn sin can be in resisting what Jesus wants to do in us. But Jesus is good news. He disarms evil. His goal is to free us, not to harm us. He doesn't bind us. He rescues us. So invite his authority in your life. Trust that if he comes with a blade, it's to perform surgery, not to stab you. And trust yourself to him. So Luke's urging us to give Jesus ultimate authority in our lives because he disarms the evil that controls us, but also because he can undo the brokenness that hinders us. Jesus healed people of all kinds of sicknesses and diseases to show that he can reverse the curse that sin has brought on our world. He wants us to taste the paradise that he's inviting us to. He can undo the brokenness that hinders us. Now in the first century, Jews didn't go out to Swiss chalet after they attended synagogue, but they would often gather for a meal. In verse 38, Jesus arrives at the home of Simon Peter's mother in law, and he's told she's sick in bed with a high fever. Jesus doesn't take out any herbal remedies or go through any religious rituals. He rebukes the fever the way you'd scold a dog for chewing your shoe. As he does, the fever just disappears. And to show how thorough her healing was, she immediately heads to the kitchen to serve everyone. Then, as the Sabbath ends, people can carry the sick without fear of breaking the Sabbath rules. So they come from all over. And frankly, we're unsure how Jesus will take all of this. He's already healed a man and a woman. That should be enough to prove his power. Nothing more is necessary. Jesus has too much compassion to just ignore the crowd. He could have just waved his hand and done a mass healing, put his feet up and read the paper. But Luke tells us he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Jesus wants each one to know his power. He wants us to feel how much he cares. But he wasn't eradicating sickness. He wasn't giving a technique to end disease. Jesus was giving evidence that he has the power to reverse this curse that sin brought on our world. It's his way of saying, for those who trust in me, life won't always be like this. Beyond this life, I've prepared a world free from sickness, free from disease, and free from evil. I'm giving you a taste of it now so you can put your hope in what's to come. Now, I wonder how much thought you've given to Jesus' miracles. Do you find them convincing? Have they persuaded you to give Jesus authority over your life? Today, some people dismiss Jesus' miracles without really considering them. There's a problem with the Gospels detailing so many of his miracles, because if they're not actually true, it would be easy for people to write off the whole account of Jesus as nonsense. Luke wrote his Gospel while most of the people who had been healed were still alive. All it would take would be a trip to Capernaum to confirm the accounts that Luke records. And unlike the faith healers you hear of today, Jesus' miracles were never debunked. In fact, Jesus often did his miracles right in front of his fiercest critics and They would criticize him for doing them on the Sabbath, or they would say he must be using demonic power to cast out the demons. But no one ever accused him of sleight of hand or fraud. If you dismiss Jesus' miracles, what basis do you have to do so? What right do you have to reject the eyewitnesses? Now, if you accept what Jesus did, know that he performed these miracles to convince you of his claims. He did them to persuade you that the hope he proclaims is real. He invites you to eternal life. So Luke wants you to give Jesus ultimate authority in your life because he can disarm the evil that controls you. He can undo the brokenness that hinders you. And finally, because he offers a message of hope that can save you. People never only trust Jesus for what he can do for them today. They trust him for the promises that he gives for tomorrow. He offers a message of hope that can save you. Now, before we get to that message, there's something that may be confusing you. Did you notice in verse 34 that when the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, Jesus rebukes him and orders him to be silent. And in verse 41, when the demons say, You are the Son of God. Jesus rebukes them and doesn't allow them to speak. This happens regularly in the Gospels, and there are several likely reasons. First, it's never great to have demons run your PR campaign. Jesus doesn't want news of his identity to spread through hearsay, and in this case, through some unsavory uh, characters. He wants people to hear his words and see his works and draw a conclusion for themselves. But he's also having to deal with the fact that when people hear that he's the Messiah, many of them are gonna try to make him their king and launch a revolt against Rome. And others are gonna try to crucify him before his time. Jesus is carefully revealing his identity through what he says and does so that true believers will follow him while others will feel uncertain enough to hold back. Now, the conclusion to this chapter is interesting. Jesus has cast out a demon from a man, healed the fever of a woman, and then spent a long evening healing a crowd of people who came to him. The next morning, you know what's going to happen, right? In verse 42, the crowds are starting to gather again, and they don't want him to leave. Everyone's got a brother or a cousin or an uncle who couldn't make it to last night's healing, so they want Jesus to stick around. Maybe they could make him mayor and he could set up a hospital. Either way, Jesus will have none of it. In verse 43, he says, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. We saw this last time as well, but Jesus' goal isn't just to heal as many people as possible. He didn't set out to take away everyone's problems. Yet, Sometimes we pray as if that is his goal or as if that should be his goal. There was still plenty of good that he could do in Capernaum, but he had to go. And he didn't say, I have to go because I must heal people in the other towns as well. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. What that tells me is that, is that there's something, more, something that I need more than for Jesus to heal my back pain or my heartache. There's something I need more than for Jesus to resolve my conflict at work or my problems with my neighbor. There's something I need more than for Jesus to lower the national debt, provide more affordable homes, and reduce traffic congestion. What you and I most need is the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus came for. Now, today, the word kingdom sounds a little old-fashioned. We actually usually don't use it. We usually just refer to Spain, Morocco, or Cambodia, rather than the more technical kingdom of Spain, or kingdom of Morocco, kingdom of Cambodia. A kingdom is just a people who are ruled by a king. But what's the good news of the kingdom of God? Paul gave a hint of it in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. That's where it says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's like ever since Adam and Eve turned their backs on God in the garden, a shadow has fallen over life in this world. Darkness rules, and its reign is expressed in tyranny, abuse, and injustice. People suffer from sickness, poverty, oppression, and death. Jesus healed and performed the miracles that he did to show us that he came to rescue us from this domain. He wants to set us free from the power of darkness. And many people misunderstood this. They just wanted to get free from the power of Rome. They thought that Caesar was their biggest problem. But the real problem is always deeper than that. There's a spiritual darkness behind the evil and injustice of our world. And there's a spiritual darkness inside us that we need rescuing from as well. Jesus came to deliver us from that. Those who give their allegiance to him as their king operate as ambassadors in a foreign land now, but we enjoy a measure of relief from the darkness but also forgiveness of sins, peace with God, and the protection of a good and righteous king. And one day, while those who have rejected Jesus as their king will face the brutal reality of the domain of darkness, all who have turned to the kingdom of God will experience its blessing and fullness for all eternity. That's the good news Jesus came to proclaim. All the miracles, all the healings, all the works of power and mercy were to convince you and me to receive him as our true king. Have you done that? That's different than asking whether you like Jesus. It's different than asking whether you admire and respect Jesus. The question is whether you have given him authority in your life. Do you treat him as your king? Now, most church people want to say yes, in a general sense, but we often stumble over the particulars. Have you expressed your allegiance to him in baptism? Have you given him authority over your time and your priorities? Have you given him authority over your words and your actions? Have you given him authority over your relationships and your romance? Have you given him authority over your finances and your plans? Do you care about the same things that Jesus does, or do your values still betray where your true allegiance lies? Jesus came to bring you the good news of the kingdom of God, and it's more urgent than anything else that's competing for your attention. Receive that good news today and treat Jesus like the king he's proven himself worthy of. Let's look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that there is good news. There's good news for all of the darkness that we face in this world. There's good news for all the injustice that we see and even the darkness that we see in our own hearts. We thank you that Jesus promised that good news and he came to set us free. Well, we thank you, Father, for the way He gave us evidence for those incredible claims that he made. Help us to respond. Help us to treat Jesus as our king, to trust him as king, and so experience the blessings of the kingdom of God. Show us, Father, areas where we are withholding Authority, where we're still acting like the king in our own lives. And may we receive Jesus and give him full freedom to lead and to act and to express his authority for your glory and for our blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to understand why you should give Jesus ultimate authority in your life. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. And if you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.